There's no way that I could say it as well or any better than our Emily has written it and spoken it for us. And so right now, I just would like to ask um, for all moms in the room to stand up. Uh, Single moms, married moms, young moms, well-seasoned moms, adoptive moms, biological moms, foster moms. If you have played a role in the raising, the care, the love of a child, would you receive our thanks, our honor, our applause, our respect? We need you. We thank God for you. We love you. We're glad you're in our lives. You you may be seated. Hey, you want me to show you the greatest Mother's Day present in the world? Here's a picture. Our our daughter, Lovia, graduated from college uh, yesterday. Uh, She graduated magna cum laude. I graduated Olodicum. Um, no, um, 20 years ago, she was a half-starved kid on the street in Haiti. Uh, when they carried her into the orphanage, she didn't have enough physical strength to lift a spoon of rice to her mouth. Um, 15 years ago, uh, while my wife had been in Haiti for nine months uh, running that orphanage. And uh, 15 years ago, Lovia came um, to our home. As our daughter, the girl that God had put in our hearts, uh, he put in our family, and now she has married a mom of her own and kind of against all odds has graduated uh, from college, and we thank God for her. And that was precious yesterday, being able to be with her. But let me just ask an honest question. I know this was true of her yesterday as a mom, but let me ask you, all the ladies in the room, if you have the energy, raise your hands if you're tired. Both hands if you're really tired. Uh, Young ladies that are 21, this feeling of tiredness will go away in about 70 years. (laughs) My mom is 91, she will be next month, and she was recently diagnosed with acute exhaustion. My dad is 95. He has an advanced cancer, colonitis, and congestive heart failure. And one night after another long day, after a long week of dad being in the hospital, my, wa- my mom came home and fell asleep standing up. Now, when I was a kid, we had horses that slept standing up. But I didn't mention that to my mom. I'm old enough that all I care about now is staying in the will. Um, <laughs> But my dad, it's, it's been rugged. Um, a couple of weeks ago, before a hospital stay, while he was home, he, he fell and he couldn't get up. My dad was the strongest man I ever knew. He was a meat cutter, operated a slaughterhouse, a locker plant, a grocery store. And I had never seen anybody then or since worked like my dad, but here he is sprawled out on the floor, helpless to get up. So my mom goes and she's not, she's going to be 91 next month. She's got her own physical struggles, her own weakness. And she gets down, she can't get him up. She can't get up. And now both of my elderly parents are sprawled out on the floor, 
trying and crying. They exhaust themselves in their efforts and they can't get up. Now, when I get that image in my head, it's hard to shake. At first, I found it greatly disturbing. I wanted to move in with them. But now I see it as a picture of authentic love. I want to paint a picture of authentic love for you today. That image of my mom and dad down on the floor, sprawled, crying, trying, exhausted, helpless to get each other up. To me, it's a picture of of Romans 12, verses 9 through 12. If you're in a relationship, if you have children, if you're married, if you have friends, memorize this scripture. Here's how it opens. The apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Really love them. That's what drove my mom, even though she knows her weakness, down on the floor with my dad and kept her there when they couldn't get up. Don't pretend to love, really love. Hey, maybe you feel like you've been knocked down by life and you're not sure you can get up. Maybe financial problem knocked you down. Maybe cancer knocked you down. Maybe uh, depression and anxiety feels like it's knocked you down. Or maybe there's someone in your life whom you love who has been knocked down by some serious struggle and you feel helpless to get them back on their feet. So what do you do? Well, What I've seen in my mom and dad down in their struggle together has caused me to decide that I'm staying down with my Debbie in her struggle with Alzheimer's. You see, our situation may not change for Deb and I. My dad's situation may not change for he and my mom. Whatever situation you're in, the situation may not change. But a situation, though it may not change, It's less of a struggle when we're down in it together. We may cry together as we try together. We may exhaust ourselves together, but it's better. It's less of a struggle as we're together. My oldest son, Josh, um, we had a conversation. It's been a while ago, and I got kind of vulnerable with him. I was thinking about all my weaknesses, all my flaws, all my failures as a dad, and I just asked him one day, um, son, what, what did you learn from me? Because I was kind of a sports freak and he was a musician and artist. And so I just, I, I don't know why, but I asked him, what did you learn from me growing up? He said, dad, I always remember you saying, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how good you look. That's how you get the chicks. <laughs> and that's true. I said that a lot. Um, but then he got serious and he said, dad, I'll never forget my first day in third grade. It was a new school. I didn't know anybody. You walked into the classroom with me and all over the classroom, little clumps of kids were grouped up together talking and laughing. And before you talked to my teacher, you pointed at a boy standing all alone off by himself. And you said, Josh, go over. Why don't you talk to that boy? Looks like he doesn't have a friend. Why don't you go be his friend? He said, dad, I've never forgotten that. See, that's another evidence of true love. Love is being a friend to those who have no friend. I mean, you know, this church is all about helping the homeless, whatever way we can. But there was a time in my life, and you probably remember this. I've been here so long that I just got convicted. It's not enough to give them tents and sleeping bags and food and socks and gloves and boots. And I just felt like I I need to be their friend. I need to go out to the homeless camps and just hang out with them. 
And, and I did, and that was a special season in my life. And you got people in your life like that. Maybe they're addicted and their family has given up on them, but you can be their friend. Maybe you know somebody that's homeless. But I bet that there's someone who crosses the path of your life who needs to be a friend, who needs to have a friend, and you can be their friend. Well, it's almost like a jolt, like a, like a teenager is driving the car going from first gear to second because what Paul writes next just kind of makes us shudder in our seat. Look what he writes. First thing he writes is let your love be real. Then he writes, hate what is evil. Whoa, Paul. Chill out, dude. Hate what is evil. Now, I want to go, I want to go deep into this text to help you. And you probably know the Bible was not written in English. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome where there were single moms and biological moms and married couples and older people, younger people. And he's writing in Greek. And the Greek word for hate is apostugeo, apostugeo. And it means to be horrified by. It's like you're watching a scary movie. Ah! What is it that Paul's saying that you should be scared to death of? In regards to your relationship, what should scare you to death? He says, hate, be scared to death, be horrified by evil. Now the word, the Greek word used there by Paul, um, it makes my wife think of Panera Bread because she is addicted to their mac and cheese. But the Greek word is paneros, and it means a diseased, toxic Influence. So Paul was saying, hey, be scared to death of any toxic influence in any person or anything. Don't just keep it at arm's length from your life. Stay the heck away from any toxic influence. Don't let it into your life. Don't be a toxic person. Don't let it into your relationships. Now, I'll give you three broad categories of toxic behavior that will kill your relationships. Um, they all start with the letter A. The first is anger. Anger is the great destroyer of relationships. Every time you get angry, it fractures, puts a stress fracture on your relationship. And the cumulative effect of anger is that it would just shatter the relationship. They call anger the great destroyer of relationships. Second to anger is arrogance. Thinking that you're right. Thinking that you gotta have your own way and you'll steamroll over anybody that gets in your way. Thinking that you gotta be in charge. Think that you gotta control. You wanna control everybody, everything. That's anger, that's arrogance. And it hurts. It puts the bad hurt on your relationships. And the third A is alibis, excuses. Whenever you invent an alibi for something you've done wrong, you're simply excusing your own behavior. Alibis are a way of you not taking responsibility for your own behavior. You were wrong. You didn't ask for forgiveness. You made an excuse. Those three A's, everything else toxic, just falls under them. But we want to jettison them from our personalities as well as from our 
relationships. We can't help being angry. Everybody gets angry. But we can help how the anger comes out. We can help how long the anger lasts. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You got a day to get rid of it and don't puke it out on somebody you love. Because the Bible says, in your anger, you're gonna be angry, in your anger, sin not. Get it out of your personality. Get it out of your relationship. Let your relationships live by getting rid of the anger. And then Paul, again, it's like he's chugging in from second to third, another shuddering shift. He says this, here's the deal. Cling, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. You can let go of the anger. Everybody can get angry, but you can let go of the anger. You don't have to hold on to it. You can let go of the arrogance. You don't have to be right. You don't have to go first. It doesn't have to be your way. You don't need to control anybody but yourself. You can let go control. You don't have to make excuses. You don't have to invent alibis. If you cling to your anger, you will bear the consequences the ugly consequences of your anger. If you cling to your arrogance, you will bear the detrimental damage that arrogance does to relationship. If if you cling, if you just got to fight to make excuses and you can't own up to your own behavior, it'll be your undoing. So cling to what is right. Here's the deal. What you cling to clings to you. So you don't cling to the gross stuff or you stay gross. You cling to the healthy stuff. You, you, you read what is good and cling to what good that you read. You, you listen to what is good and you cling to, that's the big deal about being here today. You are hearing the goodness of God's word and you cling, just cling to this truth because as you cling to the good, you begin to bear the benefits of what you've read. You begin to bear the benefits of what you've heard. You begin to live the good and bear the benefit. You begin to love the good and you bear the benefits of the good that you love and the good that you bring to your loved ones. Woo, that was good. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Um, The the Greek word for cling... um, Kalaeo uh, means gorilla glue or something like that. It means to adhere tightly and be inseparable. So bind yourself to the good you hear. Bind yourself to the good you love. Bind yourself to the good you read. Bind yourself to the goodness of God. And just like there are three A words for toxic behavior and toxic influence. I've got three H words that will be the glue to your relationships. They keep you bound together as parents and children. They keep you bound together as husband and wife. They keep you bound together in your friendships. The three words are happiness, humility, and honor. Happiness is the glue that holds a relationship together. I'm responsible for the happiness of my marriage, and you're responsible for the happiness in your marriage. Now, I do believe that my Debbie is responsible as well, but I need to take responsibility. I'm responsible for the happiness of my whole family. I can't excuse myself because I'm busy. I can't excuse myself because I'm tired. I stay responsible 
for happiness. For over 40 years, I wanted to take responsibility for the happiness of this church. Any relationship we are in, we gotta bring the happiness because the happiness is the glue that holds us together. The mistake we make is thinking that we can be happy if things happen right. But how often do things happen right? And if you lose your happiness when things go wrong, what's it worth? Here's what we think. If things happen right, then I get to do what I want, then I'll be happy. But doing what you want, happiness is not doing what you want. Happiness is being devoted to those you love. Being devoted, not doing, being devoted. Here's what the word of God says. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. That devotion to those you love creates the happiness that becomes the glue that holds you together. Happiness is the antidote to anger. You cannot be happy and angry at the same time. Happiness is so powerful. When you take responsibility for happiness, it wedges the anger out of the relationship and out of your life. Happiness is a power that you can be responsible for that keeps your relationships glued together. The antidote to arrogance is humility. I love the way the message version of the Bible translated, it says, practice playing second fiddle. You don't have to be first. You don't have to be in charge. You don't have to be in control. I want to tell you, it is exhausting to be an arrogant person, to always be having to convince others that you're in charge, to always be putting, ex exhausting yourself to be in control. Instead, practice being second. Practice putting others first. Practice helping others be first. Practice teaching others how to be first. Practice letting others have their way. Practice going with their ideas instead of your own. Practice being second in humility. It's a glue that will bind your relationships together in love. And then look at the text. Paul goes on to write, take the light. I mean, get your highest joy. Where do you get your highest joy? Paul says, here's the deal. Get your highest joy out of honoring others. Now, the Greek word for honor is time, and it means to place a high price tag on someone, hopefully. I mean, we do have a tendency to put a high price tag on things, and love things and use people. But when you honor others, Time, you put a high, high price tag on them. You love them and just use things. Time, honor. You know who in my life is best at showing honor to those they love? My dog. Any other dog owners, dog lovers in the room? You know what I'm talking about. Any cat people in the room? Okay, I want to assure you, you are going to heaven. Not sure about the cats. Just kidding, I love cats too. But anyway, our dog, Deb and I, can walk out of the house for 30 seconds. Go out the door, oh, we've got something. Go back in, the dog is like, oh, I'm so glad you're back. Oh, you're awesome. Oh, I love you. Oh, I can't wait to spend time with you. Oh, touch me somewhere, anywhere, right there. Oh yeah, that feels so good. You're the best. Dogs are all about honoring those they love. They make you feel like a million dollars every time they see you. 
They're just like, oh, I'm glad you're here. You're the best. Oh, I love you. I'm so glad you're in my life. Serious. Cats just turn around and walk away. But no, here's the deal. If somebody says to me, hey, you're treating me like a dog, I say, I hope so. Dogs know how to honor those they love. And if a dog can do it, we can do it. We can look them in the eye and say, I'm glad you're in my life. We can take them in our arms and say, I love you, I'm glad you're here. I wouldn't wanna do life or love without you. Honor is the antidote. Honor is the strength. Honor is the glue that keeps our relationships together. And then Paul charges to the end of these few verses. Look what he writes. Never give up. Eagerly follow the Holy Spirit and serve the Lord. Let your hope make you glad. Be patient in time of trouble and never stop praying. You know who in my life has lived this scripture out in front of me for decades, you might guess? My mom and dad. Never give up. That's my mom and dad, married for 73 years. Never give up. Talked about follow the Holy Spirit eagerly and serve the Lord. My mom and dad have always believed that you serve the Lord best by serving people. And so until they hit their 90s, um, my mom and dad always served in their church. They um, cared for other people's children. They made meals for people that were in need. They um, they visited on the weekend people who were too sick or too disabled to go to church and they took them communion in my office at my prayer place. I have a communion container that opens up and there's little cups and a bottle for juice and bread, tray for bread. They, they've given it to me and it's special to me because I know my mom and dad every Sunday afternoon, they were out serving people in need. But maybe my mom and dad are most known for their open hearts and open home and their ability. Whoever, they would take in anybody. College kids that found Paris, Illinois as a halfway mark on their way to their uh, university on the weekend. They would stop at my mom and dad's house, coming and going. Others stayed there, but everyone who was welcomed was made to feel like family. You remember what Mother Teresa said? That the problem with the world is that we draw our family circles way too small. My mom and dad spent 73 years of marriage trying to solve that problem for people. My mom and dad believe you don't have to be blood to feel like family. Um, the text said that we are to be glad, be made glad by our hope. And often when I'm able to come out and greet you each weekend, there are times you've got trouble in your life. And so I stop and pray with you about the loved one you lost or the cancer that you're battling or the financial problems that you're getting through. Everybody has trouble. 
But we know this, we have hope because our Jesus is greater than our emotional struggles. Our Jesus is the unlimited source of all resource and he is greater than our financial struggles. He is a great healer who loves to heal and he's greater than our cancer. He's greater than our difficulties. He's greater than our problems. Our Jesus is everything and when you know Jesus, you are made glad by your hope in him. You know that he's at work to your good. You know that he is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all you can ask or even imagine. You know that with Christ, all things are possible. Well, this next piece of scripture, I think my mom and dad overlooked when they were down on the floor struggling together. I don't want to make light of it. I can't imagine. Can you imagine being 95 years old and your legs don't work? and you've fallen and you can't get up. My mom and dad have those necklaces, that, the buttons that you're supposed to push when you fall down, they keep them in the closet. <laughs> Can you imagine being a 91-year-old great-grandma whose husband of 73 years is down on the floor, he hit his head, you don't know how bad he's injured, you know your own weaknesses. What are you going to do? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, I talked with my parents after that fall. And it was disturbing to me, but I have to admit that my mom and dad probably weren't too patient in their trouble. That's how the text goes on. Be patient in time of trouble. I think they kicked into panic mode. And, uh, you know, they're two strong-minded individuals. My dad probably knows how he wants to get up. My mom knows how she wants to give him, get him up. And I think they were more panicked than patient. But I've known my mom and dad, as long as I've known the English language, I've heard my parents pray aloud. And I, I don't know about the panic and the patience. I just know that my mom and dad prayed. It probably wasn't an elaborate prayer. My mom and dad are simple people. And it's likely that they just prayed, oh God, help us. Oh God, help us. Bill can't do this. Nadine can't help me. Oh God, help us. I believe they prayed that prayer because sometime later in the morning, while they're still sprawled out on the floor, helpless to get up, a lady friend stops by unannounced, just out of the blue. I believe she was an answer to prayer. She knocks on the door, no one answers. She rings the bell, no one answers. She knows my parents. She knows their struggles. So she just goes right in the house, finds, helps my mom up. My mom and she help my dad up, get him safely in a chair. But I believe that's the way Jesus works in our lives. You've come with your struggle. You've come being beaten down or knocked down by life, or you've come knowing someone you love who's knocked down and you're afraid you can't help them up. But you've got a Jesus who answers every prayer. Lord, hear us when we are in distress. And he does. Lord, send your help. Send, grant your support. And he does. And then how does the text go on? Satisfy the desires of our heart and make all our plans succeed. And so a lady is sent. And a 91-year one well, old woman is lifted to her feet and the two of them get my dad to his feet. Jesus will come for you. Jesus will rescue you. Jesus will deliver you. He is in the business of restoring you and restoring relations, restoring the happiness, restoring the honor, restoring 
the humility. Here's the text in its fullness from the word of God. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is evil, what is toxic, stay away from it. Keep it out of your life, keep it out of your relations. Cling to what is good because what you cling to clings to you. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Practice playing second fiddle. Take delight in honoring each other. Never give up, never give up. Never give up. Eagerly follow the Holy Spirit to serve the Lord. Why? Because when you serve the Lord, then he serves you. When you can't do it, he'll do it for you. When you, when you feel alone, he'll do it with you. You serve him and he serves you. Let your hope make you happy. Be patient in time of trouble. Never, never, never stop praying. And so I want to pray with you uh, right now. One thing I want you to know um, in each service in this room this weekend, someone has said yes to Jesus, surrendered to him and been baptized. A, a young mom last night, uh, a teenager in the last service. He was 16. And uh, here's a cool thing I want to tell you about him. I've known him since he was a little guy. And um, I'm laying, leaning, laying him back in the water. And he's, he's a head taller than me big muscled kid. I lay him back in the water. When he comes up out of the water, he looks up at me and says, do you got me? <laughs> I said, I have you. And I lifted him up. You know, that's your conversation with Jesus. Lord, you got me? I got you. Jesus will always have you by his mighty right hand. And so I'm going to invite you. I'm going to come off the stage in a moment. And if you would like to experience Jesus in baptism, please come to the front. He's got you. Whatever your need, I wasn't able to greet any, everyone in an audience's size or pray with everyone. But if you come to the front with any need, um, I'll be down front. Our staff will be down front to serve you. But I want to close our time together. If you'd stand with me. We were able to celebrate some families this morning. I want to show compassion on anyone who's struggling with fertility issues. That will be my prayer right now, a prayer of mercy. Because um, I know, friends, I've known, come, come forward for prayer if you're struggling with fertility issues. I prayed for people before who wanted to have babies. And they had babies. And they came and asked me to pray for them not to have any more babies. Let me pray over you right now. Let's bow together. Father God, you're the best comforter. Come and be comfort to those who want to have children and for whatever reason so far have not been able to. Lord Jesus, would you place your nail-pierced hands by which you are healed, by, by which we are healed, would you place your nail-pierced hands on their bodies and Lord, get everything right. Lord, you, you keep all your promises forever and you promise that I will give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We claim that promise now over those struggling with fertility. Lord, help them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.